Greetings, my good people. How are you? What is happening? What's going on? How's everybody doing out there? Hope everybody's feeling well and that you enjoyed your Thanksgiving weekend. But now that we've transitioned into the month of December, all that's left between now and the end of the year and even the end of the decade is 29 days. So what are you going to do? Are you going to wait till January 1st to start off your goals, your resolutions, put it off till then? Ah, let me just go out with a bang. Uh Uh-uh. The way to go out with a bang is to start slow, get rolling till the end of the year so you could go into 2020 like gangbusters, feeling good, feeling confident, feeling strong. That's right. Do that because tomorrow is never promised, people. So let's go ahead and get started. One thing I can promise you, though, is I'm going to deliver everything that's happening in the world of sports and you've come to the right place with yours truly, Jay Reels, the host of the Jay Reels Podcast. For my first-timers, welcome aboard. Thank you very much for downloading and listening to this content. And for those who have been banging with me for now 101 episodes, I welcome you guys back. It is a Monday, December 2nd, in the year of our Lord, 2019. Here's what I have on tap for you guys. The college football championship week is upon us, but we had a crazy topsy-turvy weekend, especially Alabama and Auburn and Ohio State-Michigan. Those are the two games I'll certainly highlight, as well as everything that's happening, as I'll paint a broad brush of the college football landscape to find out who will be the top four teams that may be representing in the college football playoff. I'll also get into the NBA, whether it's James Harden's 60 points in 31 minutes, Kyrie's comments about the Boston fans, whatever's going on in the NHL, also Major League Baseball. Can we get any type of rumors, any type of hot stove percolating? I guess we may have to wait another week as the winter meetings are in San Diego next Monday. That's when the hot stove should really be cooking, but boy, it would be nice to get a rumor here and there, just a little kernel, a little nugget of some baseball news as it's starting to snow here in the Northeast. But we'll recap everything that's happening in the NFL, including a great game tonight in the Pacific Northwest between the Vikings and Seahawks, which will close out Week 12. Game with very big implications as far as the NFC playoff picture is concerned and seeding. But some of the storylines from yesterday, and I know the big one that's glaring is going to be the Patriot offense, and rightfully so. Not to knock Julian Edelman or even Philip Dorsett, can't knock those guys. But when you look at the way the receivers have performed here over the course of the last few weeks, it's almost as if you're looking at that 2016 with Jabbar Gaffney and Rache Caldwell. And if the Patriots are certainly going to not only defend their Super Bowl title, but make another Super Bowl run, they're certainly going to need more production there because we all know they do not have the big tight end anymore and Rob Gronkowski. They certainly don't have any big-time playmaking wide receiver threats as far as stretching the field is concerned. But we all know that come January, they're going to be primed. They're going to be ready. They'll have a week off and they'll host the playoff game at home. But as you wake up today, guess what? They are not the number one seed if the season were to end today. That would be the team that plays its games down in Baltimore where the Ravens, with their win yesterday and the Patriots loss, and of course with the Ravens beating the Patriots a few weeks ago on Sunday Night Football, they now occupy the top seed in the AFC. So the Super Bowl will certainly go through Maryland, if that would be the case, but we all know there's still plenty of football to be played between now and then. But we'll start again with the Patriots because I know a lot of people are looking to throw dirt on them. Oh, this is the beginning of the end as far as their season is concerned, not the Brady-Belichick era. But as I said before, wake me up in January. Let me see who they play in that first round. Let me see if they're going to struggle in that game. Let me see if they put 50 on whomever is going to walk into that building, whether you're Pittsburgh, whether you're Tennessee, even Buffalo, who knows. But I have to see it to believe it. And yes, have they hit a little speed bump here? Absolutely. Their offense has certainly not clicked over the last three, four weeks. We understand Tom Brady's been frustrated with this offense. But somehow, someway, they will certainly snap out of it. Not to say that they're going to put up 30 every night. But they'll do just enough. And their defense, who, as I've said, week in and week out, I'm not 100% sold on. Yesterday was an indicator of that. And granted that, not to say that Houston lit up the world as far as their offense is concerned, but at the same time, they were able to put up points on that defense and secure a 28-22 victory, although the score certainly wasn't as close as it indicated considering that they had some mop-up points there late in the game, the Patriots that was. But with the Ravens, now everybody's going to anoint them as the best team in the NFL and of course you're going to say that considering that they beat the best team in the NFC as far as record is concerned in the 49ers yesterday in a very good game now I wasn't watching 100% as I was involved in the Steeler-Brown game but the Ravens where Lamar Jackson wasn't at his best 
Certainly didn't throw the ball that well. He did rush for over 101 yards, which brings him that much closer to Michael Vick's all-time single-season rushing record for a quarterback. For whatever that is, hey, obviously it's an achievement. Got to give it up. We all know for many years there was no such thing as a quarterback getting 1,000 yards or even leading their team in rushing, and it looks like that's going to be the case this year. But we all know that this offense of the Ravens is certainly predicated by what their quarterback does. And if defenses are going to be willing to stop this run, then great. Because we all know if they're going to rush, as I've said time and time again, they're going to rush for 200 yards in the game, as they've been doing over the course of the last month, then they're going to be unstoppable. Uh, Nobody's going to beat them. But as it is right now, the Ravens, and give them credit, and also give credit to Justin Tucker, who I certainly don't need to throw any more bouquets at his feet. I see him twice a year. He always kills the Steelers. And I'm going to say this. He's a lock hall of famer. We get that. For those who watch football over the years. And I get that he's a kicker, and it's not a sexy position, and everybody's going to look at Adam Vinatieri as the standard when it comes to field goal kicking. But this guy is better. He doesn't have the playoff resume or anything close to the playoff resume that Adam Vinatieri does. Although he did have that good run in 2012 when he went to the Super Bowl and he had a big kick in Denver in overtime for them to go on to play the New England Patriots and beat them in their building that year. But Justin Tucker, who they carried off the field and a little puzzled at that because again, as great as he's been and I believe he's the longest tenured Raven if I'm not mistaken. But not only should he be a Hall of Famer, but this NFL 100 list that's been coming out here over the last couple of weeks, and I believe this week is going to be the special teams and defensive backs, he belongs on that list. The guy is absolutely clutch. I like to call him the Mariano Rivera of field goal kicking. And before the Yankee fan falls out of their chairs and say, whoa, come on, J-Reels, give me a break. Just look at the numbers. The guy does not miss in the fourth quarter. He's made now 38 straight field goals in the fourth quarter. He's the all-time kicking percentage as far as field goals concerned. I believe he's over 90%. He kicks 40-yard field goals, 50-yard field goals. He doesn't miss at all. He connected on how many uh, consecutive extra points over the years. Last year, I know he finally missed in that game against New Orleans. I believe it was like week five, week six last year. But he's just a tremendous kicker. And obviously kicked them the victory yesterday. As they uh, beat the Niners there in their building. And give credit to the Niners. They played well. They didn't get embarrassed. You always wonder about a young team. Cross country. Not good weather. Playing against a team that's pretty much their equal. If not even better. And they certainly were formidable. And they stood up to the test. Now everybody's going to look at toward the end of the game. They went for it on their fourth down. Instead of going for the field goal. They got stopped there. And then as the Ravens got the ball there. With about six minutes to go. They were able to march on down. And convert a couple of fourth downs on their own. Before the heroics of Justin Tucker. So good game overall. And Niners certainly have another tough test this coming week. Which we'll get to later on as they play the Saints. But the Ravens right now. As everybody wants to anoint them as the best team. But we all know we got to wait till February for that. And we understand that. Wherever you watch your analysis. Or thankfully you come to listen to me. As far as my analysis is concerned. I'm not going to break out all the pom-poms. Despite the fact that I can't stand the Ravens. And even if I love the Ravens. Or really thought that wow. You know this is the team. Uh-uh. We need to see this in January and February, people. Because just like two weeks ago, or even when they were the last undefeated team in football, the San Francisco 49ers, when they were 8-0 and even 9-0, everybody thought, oh, they're the best team. Oh, come on. Right. We all know that in November and December, the best team doesn't always necessarily win come February. And we get that that's what the ratings are, and people are going to check out the hot takes and the first takes and all these other shows and may even come on and listen to me to be like, oh, what does Jay Reels feel? Who's the best team? Right. The eye test shows you that the Ravens are the best team right now. Are they Super Bowl champions yet? No. So, obviously everybody needs to step off the pedal a little bit before they start thinking that the ticker tape parade is going to go down whatever main avenue in Baltimore to say that the Ravens have won their third Super Bowl in their franchise's history. So they're playing, they're world beaters right now. They're certainly, you can't argue what they've done and who they've beaten, etc. And especially after that beat down there Monday night against the Rams. And boy, I, I listen, they have been a juggernaut this year. There's no way, shape, you can't discount that. But it's December 2nd, not February 2nd. So two months from today is when the Super Bowl is going to be played. And that's when we'll see who the NFL's best team is. So let's just put that out there for everybody to chew on. Before we start thinking that the Ravens right now, they already punched their ticket to Miami to represent the AFC in Super Bowl 54. 
So that's what we got there. Other AFC notes, and it's interesting to think that the Tennessee Titans, they're one team that, as I've said over the weeks, probably the least sexiest 7-5 and five team in all of football. Well, here they are. Now, they're on the outside looking in as far as the playoff picture is concerned. But they go into Indianapolis, and they beat up the Colts, 31-17. Derrick Henry's a guy who's so under the radar as far as running backs are concerned, and rightfully so, because he plays, A, he plays his games in Tennessee. B, nobody pays attention to their games except the people that live in that region. But here we are, where the Titans are certainly trying to knock on the AFC playoff picture door. And as long as you have a good running game and their defense, not a bunch of all pros, but they do the job, you wonder if Tennessee is going to have enough gas in their tank to make a playoff push. Now, they certainly have a very tough schedule down the stretch. Probably the toughest schedule in all football. Now, they play the Raiders in Oakland. It's not going to be an easy game despite Oakland's stubborn air total last two weeks in uh, New York against the Jets and then yesterday in Kansas City, which... No need to even go through that game as they lose 40 to 9. Didn't even show up. They were down 24 nothing before you could blink your eye. And then they have, after that, they have two of their final three games against the Houston Texans, and sandwiched that in the middle is the Saints. So if the, now they don't co- control their own destiny as far as the playoffs are concerned, and their schedule, as I said, it's going to tighten up big time. But if they somehow, someway get through this schedule and end up getting a sixth seed or even maybe even winning a division. Because again, they do have the Texans two more times and they haven't even seen them this year. So you know what? They do control their own destiny in that regard because if they sweep the Texans and somehow win one of the other three games or one of the other two games, excuse me, chances are they're going to win the division. So that's what you got there with the Titans as far as what they've done and Mike Vrabel and company down there in the AFC South. As we move along, I, I don't even know what to say about the Eagles. Now, we could go to the Thanksgiving games real quick. Obviously, Bears-Lions, nothing to report there. And even the Saints beating up on the Falcons there. Matt Ryan was atrocious. But the Saints get to 10-2. and two. But the Bills and Cowboys, you know, Cowboys jump up to a 7-0 lead. And I don't know what's going on there. We hear all, everything about Jason Garrett being on the hot seat. And despite the fact that Jerry Jones will not fire him before the end of the year. And rightfully so, because who are they going to bring in now to turn that team around? You might as well just wait it out and see where they... The chips may fall. But now Jason Garrett, with him being on the hot seat and his team not performing there on Thanksgiving to the tune of, a, what was it, 26-15. They were down 26-7 after they scored that touchdown. They gave up 26 unanswered to Josh Allen and company. And the Cowboy fans, I'm sure right now they were looking at it saying there's no way we're going to win this division, but they're going to win this division by default. Because what the Eagles did yesterday in South Florida was just absolutely inexcusable and if you're an Eagle fan, you got to be sick to your stomach thinking like, what, what else can we do to try to win a game? I mean, they're literally trying to throw this division back in the Cowboys' hands and say, you know what, we don't want it. You guys will take it. They had a 28-14 lead against a Dolphin team who's played better over the last month, but it's still the Dolphins. But they just came roaring back and actually had a chance at the end of the game, which I found surprising because I saw the score at 37-31. Now, mind you, it was 28-14. They went ahead... And took a lead, uh, what was it, 37-29. They ended up getting that safety. And then, they actually had the ball left with a Hail Mary where it was tipped. And I swear, I when the ball was tipped, although it was brief, I thought somebody from the Eagles were going to re- recover it and catch it for a touchdown for a Hail Mary game-winning score. But no, it was intercepted. The Dolphins were able to prevail. And I don't even know what to say if you're Doug Peterson and company. It just, it's inexcusable the way they performed. They've truly had the path to winning this division considering they had the favorable schedule. They had the Dolphins here. They still have to play the Giants twice and we all know the Giants are pathetic. They do have the game against the Cowboys Week 16 in their building and then they had the Redskins. And the Redskins won a game yesterday so you know what? Who knows? Maybe they're rallying the troops to try to be spoiler here down the stretch. Whatever hopes that Carolina had yesterday certainly were dashed by the Redskins. But all you could say is this, if you're an Eagle fan, this season's going nowhere. I don't think they're going to turn it around. Carson Wentz didn't have a bad game, but for whatever the reason, after that 10-1 start where he hurt his knee in LA two years ago, it almost seems like, not to say he's not the same quarterback, but you wonder if this team really rally around this guy. And I understand that the reports early in the season that of course they do love Carson and whatever reports that came out as far as 
wishing that Nick Foles was back in the mix. And <laughs> how's Nick Foles performing in Jacksonville these days? Ooh. With that $88 million contract, boy, that is looking awful right now. But as far as the Eagles are concerned, you got to wonder whether or not these guys are still in their Super Bowl slumber from two years ago or they're just playing down to the competition. To me, it, it just, it's just as bad as it gets. You cannot lose these games to these bad teams, especially if you're thinking about making a run to a division and to go into a postseason. And then with the Cowboys, like I said, their schedule certainly isn't going to be easy down the stretch. they got to play the Rams, who right now the Rams are certainly fighting for their playoff lives, or very slim lives at that. They still, of course, have to play the Eagles, like I mentioned. They play the final game against the Redskins at home, which that should be a cakewalk. And they play the Bears this coming Thursday night, which, who knows, it's going to be 10 degrees. Who knows what the weather's going to be like, and with Jason Garrett not deploying... Ezekiel Elliott the way he should have especially in the game on Thanksgiving you kind of wonder is he going to have Dak Prescott throw the ball for 50 times throughout the course of the game and then have Mitch Trubisky and company somehow some way steal it at the end of the uh, you know end of the fourth quarter so NFC least is certainly living up to its billing here these last two weeks and boy I I tell you the winner of that division may be 8-8 so we'll see how that shakes down over the weeks to come uh, to go through some of these other games, and not only just the games itself, but just the storylines in particular, I'll touch on some of the games. Uh, if you're a Jet fan, I know you got to be sick today, and it's not about the Jets because we all know that their season is long gone, but it certainly put out the pasture for real after their just inexcusable and pathetic performance in Cincinnati. And the only reason why I bring up the Jets is because the Bengals, who were 0-11 going into this game, get their first win of the year. Andy Dalton who was benched early on for Ryan Finley, gets his job back. And not that he set the world on fire, but they did just enough and beating the Jets and handily, 22-6. to So Adam Gaze, we all know he's not going anywhere. And even though, what was it, about a month ago, I was screaming for him to, for his exit because he has certainly shown no fire, no gumption. It almost not, didn't even care, it looked like, especially after that Dolphin game in Miami. But now he's back to ground zero as far as the fan base, I don't even know about ownership. The ownership probably doesn't even, they probably don't even care at this point. But the Bengals finally get their first win and good for them. So you're not going to have a, a team that's been winless throughout the whole year. All of the uh, Detroit Lions of 2008 and of course the Browns of a couple years back. So the Jets who can't get out of their own way, that's what they got going on. Same for the Giants and I'm not going to spend any time on them. Jen, Daniel Jones, turnover machine. The growing pains of being a rookie quarterback, etc. You're going to lose to a better team in the Packers who rebounded after the atrocious performance that they had in San Francisco the week before. And as we go through some of it here, yeah, I mentioned about the Redskins and who knows if they're going to have some gas in the tank down the stretch to, to play spoiler. We'll see. Rams, like I said, whatever slim hopes they had, they pounded the Cardinals out in the desert. Broncos beat the Chargers. The Chargers continue to find ways to lose these uh, games that I tell you, they, they reinvent ways to lose games. The, we talked about Patriots, Texans, Jaguars. Yes, they were down 25 nothing before they scored a point, and that's with Nick Foles back in the mix. I believe now Gardner Minshew is going to take over as a starting quarterback this coming week. And Minshew, as we all know, he's had his moments this year, although that game in London where he certainly... Probably had his worst game of his career where he had three interceptions in that game. Well, he gets his job back. And we'll see what that means for the rest of the year moving forward. We talk Titans-Colts. Obviously, the game's over the Thanksgiving Day stretch. And finally, with the Steelers and Browns. This is a game, of course, I obviously I paid close attention to. I talked about this last week, and I'll start off here. For Freddie Kitchens to wear that Pittsburgh start of the t-shirt that... Some fan had made up in Cleveland to go back to the brawl of two weeks ago. He actually went to go see the Mr. Rogers movie, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. And he goes in with that shirt. And for the people in Pittsburgh who know Mr. Rogers, obviously he is an icon there, an icon throughout. But being from Pittsburgh, and then he wears that shirt to go see that movie. I said it last week that this was going to be the biggest test for Freddie Kitchens this week as far as to have his team not chirp in the press, not throw any barbs at Pittsburgh to keep it low, focus on football, and then he wears this shirt. Now, granted, you said he had a jacket on, he zipped it up, but I guess at one point he took a picture with somebody and it was open, and maybe it wasn't for the whole world to see, but you could figure out what type of T-shirt he was wearing underneath. And 
obviously a lot of the Steeler players looked at that as disrespect. They certainly looked at that and added some fuel to the fire. Now, granted, they came out slow in the game. They were down 10 nothing. They couldn't move the ball. They had nine yards in their first few uh, possessions. But then the switch went on. James Washington had a big game, including that acrobatic touchdown while he was being interfered to tie the game. Then right out of the half, they get the ball. They march on down. Benny Snell gets a touchdown at 17-10. But the Steelers, they certainly persevered. The defense made big stops when it had to, including in that big fumble there with uh, that led to the field goal at 20-10. The fumble there on Baker Mayfield. Pass rush has been stout as it's been all year. Five sacks in the day. You also had the big stretch where Hodges, Devlin Hodges threw that interception because Deontay Johnson didn't run the route. They were able to stop him on that drive, which was big. And then, of course, the final stretch where they made it 20-13 to and Joe Hayden iced the game with an interception. The one thing I did not like about it, well, two things. We understand that these calls with the officials... They're just wildly inconsistent and it just drives me nuts because on that next uh, last drive by the Steelers, there was a play where Hodges rolled out, he threw the ball out of bounds and he actually got hit in the, square in the chest by Sheldon Richardson. Of course, they didn't throw a flag there, no personal foul for roughing the passer. But on the ensuing drive by the Browns, Bud Dupree, who's had a phenomenal year, and I know he's in a walk year and he's looking for a big payday, and of course, it has to take a walk year because let's face it, for a first-round pick, he has shown, had his moments and shown flashes, but he certainly hasn't lived up to his number one pick billing. But he put some pressure on Mayfield. As soon as he released the ball, he gets hit, and right away, roughing the passer 15 yards, which was, I couldn't believe it. And then Mayfield, early in the game, he hurt his hand on a throw uh, right before the half, actually on the face mask of Bud Dupree, but he came back and... I tell you, with the way that offense is, and it, one last thing on the Browns, how is it that they have Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb, Jarvis Landry, and Odell Beckham Jr., and granted that Mayfield is overrated, but how do they have those guys on offense, and for whatever reason, they only muster 13 points, it seems like, every week? Not to say they got to blow teams out, but you would think that this team should be in the mid-20s as far as points are concerned. And not only that, but everything I mentioned about Kitchens wearing the shirt and trying to be the example to tell his team... To not say anything in the press in any ways to shirt. He's certainly not going to be long as an NFL coach. Which is not going on a limb. But for him to do that. And then on top of that. Use probably the one of the biggest weapons in football. As a decoy in Odo Beckham Jr. Is a disgrace. And we all know Odo comes with a lot of baggage. We get that. But as far as him being on the field and his talent is concerned. Why they haven't utilized him to a degree. Is beyond belief. And again. He is the NFL's biggest decoy. When it comes to an offense is concerned. But the Steelers showed a lot of resilience. A lot of gumption. They're 7-5. and five, Have a 6 seed right now. Do I expect them? And their schedule is not going to be easy. It's going to have its moments. Now they go to Arizona. Which is a tricky game. And I say that because. This will be the third time in the last. 12 years. They're going to be playing in Arizona. And they split those two games. And what does that matter for this week? It doesn't. But generally when you have a game like this. Division game. Tough game, and they have the Bills the following week. This is the ultimate trap game. So one thing I worry about is they're on this high. They beat the Browns. Everything that took place over the last three weeks with that city, with that team, etc. And now they're going to play a team that they could certainly play down to in the Arizona Cardinals. So that's the one thing I worry about. Then they have Buffalo coming into their building, which is going to be big as far as seating is concerned. And tiebreakers. Because any one of those could be a fifth or sixth seed if it remains that way. And then they finish at the Jets and then the Ravens. So they have an actual another trap game later on. So that's why I look at their schedule as being tricky from that regard. And then Tennessee already gave you what their schedule is like. Oakland looks like they're going to be put out the pasture soon, although they're still in the mix. And when you look at the rest of the AFC standings, the Browns, you would think that they're going to be gone here. Although their schedule isn't that hard. But they do have the Ravens coming into their building the week before the last game of the season. You're also looking at Indy, who the Steelers have tiebreakers on there. But right now, as you look at it, it's Baltimore, New England, Houston, KC, your top four seeds and division leaders, and then Buffalo and Pittsburgh, followed by Tennessee, who they have the better tiebreaker as far as the winning percentage against opponents. And I don't like that. Why is it the first thing is head-to-head? The second thing should be conference, but no, 
The second tiebreaker is the winning percentage against conference opponents, and then it's the conference uh, record. I don't know why that's the case, but that's how the NFL has it constituted. And then you have, like I said, Oakland, Indy, and then Cleveland, and then the rest are pretty much done for the season. Now, when we look at the NFC, we have San Francisco and New Orleans, both at 10-2, and but as we know, that could change tonight because if Seattle wins their game against Minnesota, they'll also be 10-2. and But what that will do is that you'll have a three-team tie at 10-2 and on the top of the NFC, but because of the tiebreaker where New Orleans beat Seattle early this year, they will be the one seed. Seattle will be the two seed because they own the tiebreaker over San Francisco. And then San Francisco will drop to the five seed at 10-2. and And then you'll have Minnesota there at number six. So very interesting game tonight. Like I said, playoff implications abound. And then, of course, you have the big matchup next week, which could pretty much be for the number one seed in New Orleans hosting San Francisco there at one o'clock, which is a disgrace. And also, why does the NFL have next week's game, Seattle and LA? I get that Seattle, you want to look at them as obviously being one of the better teams in the league. But the Rams again? Do I have to watch the Rams on a Sunday night? They couldn't flex that game out? Well, anyway. So you have San Francisco, New Orleans, like I mentioned, Green Bay, 9-3. And, and then you have Dallas at 6-6. Six and six. And Dallas right now, whoever's the Dallas-Philly winner, they're certainly going to be locked in at number four. And then you have Seattle right now, 9-2, and two, but that could change like I mentioned earlier. And then you have Minnesota, 8-5, and five, followed by the Rams, 7-5. and five. And I know everybody in LA is going to be rooting hard for Seattle. I know that may be tough, but obviously they'll inch that much more closer to a six-seed by rooting for the Seahawks to beat the Vikings tonight. And then after that, you have the Bears at 6-6 six and six for very slim hopes, and then Tampa, and then forget about the rest of the way. Those teams will not be part of the playoff mix. So that's what you got there in the NFL. And when you look at the games this coming week, and you do have some very interesting games as I pull them up. The game of note, of course, the Thursday night game is Cowboys-Bears. You have Ravens and Bills, which is going to be very fascinating because... Not that that's going to be of any impact as far as seeding is concerned because unless Buffalo, <laughs> and I guess you got to count them in as far as the division is concerned because they're now one game behind New England and they do have a game left against the Patriots in Foxborough. But you also have a situation where the Ravens, who have this winning streak like I mentioned, and the Bills, both two stout defensive teams, uh, that's going to be the one of the highlight games of the week. We also have the Niners and Saints. I, I wish one of those games were flexed to Sunday night because nobody cares about Seattle or LA. I'm sorry. Uh, I know a couple of Ram fans out there. I get that. I don't know any Seahawks fans. But please, if they move that Raven game, and they can't do it now because you have to have at least two weeks in advance before they could flex a game. But no, just knowing that you have Ravens and Bills as well as 49ers and Saints in the 1 o'clock window, I wish I could have moved one of those to the 4 o'clock window because the 4 o'clock window is going to be occupied by Chiefs and Patriots, but we all know that the major game is going to be that one, and despite the fact that you're going to have Patrick Mahomes going up against the Pat defense, I'm sure the football fan as of right now today would rather see Niners and Saints and dare I even say Ravens and Bills. And because of the, you would think also the weather too would factor in, Orchard Park, Northern New York, I'm sure there's going to be some snow, cold weather, so that also adds the element to watching this game. But other than that, uh, your Monday night, oh my God, you have a Monday night game from hell with Giants and Eagles. We talked about the Sunday night game. Yeah, and you have Titans and Raiders because that has some implications there. Who knows if the Raiders were to lose that, that's, that's it for them. But the Titans are certainly trying to get themselves in a playoff mix, as we've said. Uh, Jagu- uh, Chargers, Jaguars, Broncos, Texans, Colts, Bucks. Uh, Dolphins, Jets, so Lions and Vikings, Redskins, Packers. Not a lot of good games on the docket, but the the games that you do have are certainly going to be very good from that regard. So uh, we'll see how that all comes to play here as we continue to move on here in this NFL season as we close out Week 12 and approach Week 13. All right, now to get into the college football and the big game of the week. I understand Ohio State-Michigan. I'll get to that in a minute. But the Alabama-Auburn game was a 15-round heavyweight fight of yesteryear. And now we could certainly exhale to know that the Alabama Crimson Tide will not 
for the first time since this college playoff has been instituted, will not be a part of the Final Four as they get their second loss to the Auburn Tigers. And let's face it, that was a game where it had its ups and downs. It was a game where Nick Saban, who I cannot stand, as everybody knows, certainly had a gripe there at the end of the first half, adding that extra second on to kick the field goal, which turned out to be the game winner. Now, who would have thought at that time that those three points would certainly factor in as far as the final score is concerned, but he certainly had a gripe there. Wasn't too happy about some of the officiating in the game, but nobody's going to cry any tears over Alabama because they have just won year in and year out. Now, granted, I understand they lost last year to Clemson and they've lost two of the last three years to Clemson, but now we could finally just exhale and not have to worry about them being in the national spotlight as far as a national championship is concerned. But that was a very entertaining game. It was back and forth, up and down. I know even at 48-45 or two minutes to go, the kick there to hit the upright, which was huge, obviously would have tied the game. And I would have thought that if they would have made that field goal, Alabama would have won the game. And I get that their offense has been up and down the field the whole day. Bo Nix, who obviously had a very good game, and the way they were going, it was a shootout. It was an old-fashioned shootout. Kind of reminded me of the LSU-Alabama game just a few weeks ago. But the Crimson Tide... Certainly couldn't get the stops when they did. And even when they got the go-ahead score, Auburn that is, I thought that Alabama was still going to win the game. This was going to be a type of game where the last team with the ball was going to win. And like I said, even after the field goal, I just thought that, geez, if if they would have kicked that field goal, and I was happy, don't get me wrong, but I just thought that they would have made that field goal. I said, oh, they'll find a way, there'll be a turnover, something will happen. But thankfully that wasn't the case. Auburn was able to hold off that late flurry there. And uh, sent the Crimson Tide packing back home. And just thank God we don't have to worry about them. But uh, you had some great performances that game. Jalen Waddle was just electric in that game. Four touchdowns, including the kickoff return. We had all that exchange there in the early part of the second quarter. Henry Ruggs, of course, had a big game as well. We all know Alabama has, I mean, between their receivers alone, they have uh, top players that are going to go on to the next level and do big things. Highlighted by Jerry Judy for, for him, who had a very quiet game. But uh, Auburn, let's see what they do moving forward as far as the bowl's concerned. But we all know as far as the top four, they're not going to be the final contestants that make it to the college football playoff. And now to turn my attention to uh, Ohio State and Michigan, I understand it's going to be more of an indictment on Jim Harbaugh more than anything. But when you lose, and I get last year was at Columbus, but when you lose two years in a row to the team, when you gave up 63 points last year and then 56 points in your building this year, uh, where do you go from here? We all know that that game, they could have been perfect going into that game, but you lose to Ohio State, you got to carry that on for another 364 days. And the performance that their defense put up there on Saturday was just, uh, I can't say one for the ages because they gave up 62 the year before. But it makes you shake your head if you're a Michigan Wolverine fan because you wonder when you're going to get over the hump. Now, you've lost all five games in the Harbaugh era. So whether the coach is Jim Trestle, Urban Meyer, Ryan Day, or even Jay Reels, I'm sure if I stepped in next year at Ohio State, I'll go ahead and, and win the game somehow or figure it out. But now they've lost eight straight to this team going back to 2011. Jim Harbaugh now is going to play at some bowl we understand it's going to be meaningless. It's probably going to be bigger for the other school that they're going to match up with as opposed to them. And what's going to happen? Where does he go? We all know that game is is just monumental. And granted, even if they would have won that game, Ohio State probably would have been one of the top four teams. And Michigan would have been nowhere near the top four teams. But at least they would have gone into that bowl game feeling like, all right, maybe somehow, some way we could get some momentum going into next year. We could certainly build off of this, but no. So I don't know if he's going to come back. I wouldn't be surprised. But unless there's an NFL position that will open up that they're just going to give him a blank check to come on board to turn around their program. Uh, just, just, I tell you. And I even feel for the guy. I'm not a big Harbaugh guy. Uh, I don't even like his brother. I can't stand him. Obviously, he coaches the Ravens, the team I can't stand the most. But uh, what could you say? Just a just a tough perform, Just a, a tough overall. I, I, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. And I fell for him. We all know he was a tough-nosed quarterback when he played in his days at the Bears and even later on with the Colts and his uh, days at Stanford and, of course, the few years 
turning around the San Francisco 49ers, has that linebacker mentality. I mean, you love that in a coach. And here it is. He just cannot get over the hump. Just tough on his part. I mean, whenever you go into a game knowing that, not to say that they're going to be favored to win, but the game is in your building. You figure you have all this momentum. But when you give up not only 300 yards passing and four TDs, but when you have the running back rush for what he did. What did he rush for? 211 yards to J.K. Dobbins? I got to look that up again. But 211 yards in your building and four touchdowns, uh, that's inexcusable. That just can't happen. And, you know, the quarterback, Justin Fields, does what he does. Uh, just, uh, listen, I again, I could probably coach that Ohio State team to victory. And the beat just keeps on going on. When Ohio State just manhandles Michigan year in and year out. Especially the last two years. So that's what you got there. I know other games of the past weekend that you could certainly look at. Wisconsin pummeling Minnesota. And we'll see where Wisconsin, Wisconsin falls with the top 10 also Oklahoma and what they did to Oklahoma State those are two games Baylor obviously with the big matchup against Oklahoma this weekend so that's going to be one where a lot of eyes are going to be on to see where the seedings and as a matter of fact because I know they usually come out with that midweek but if I could see that right now rankings pulling those up you have LSU Ohio State Clemson and Georgia followed by Utah Oklahoma Florida Baylor Alabama Wisconsin well, I'll say this right now, and you know me, I'm not a college football aficionado by any stretch. But if LSU beats Georgia, Georgia's going to be out of the top four. Obviously, they need to have either Utah or Oklahoma, but that's going to be the big thing. Because Utah's playing Oregon, and that's going to be a good game. And you would think Utah will creep up there as the number four seed, but you're going to have a lot of people in Oklahoma say, well, wait, you know, we play in a better, better conference, tougher conference. We understand the Pac-12... You know, it's high-flying, and it's it, with those two teams, especially with Oregon and Utah, those two teams. Now, Oregon, where they're matched up, they're 13, so they're not going to any touch anywhere near the top four. But to me, the big thing is, is that if LSU does beat Georgia, who's going to get that four spot? And I guess as right now, I wouldn't be surprised if even Oklahoma gets there because of the strength of schedule, opponents, etc. Now, does Utah deserve to be there? I'd say yes, and I wouldn't be surprised if Utah is there. And you know what? Part of it is they deserve the right to be there if Georgia does lose to LSU. Now, if LSU were to lose, or any of those top three teams were to lose, they're going to be there. I can't see I can't see it otherwise because those teams will have one loss where all the other teams already have a loss. And I get that the people in Wisconsin are going to say, oh, wait, well, if we beat Ohio State on Saturday, then we should be in the top four. Uh, it's not going to happen. So... It's going to be fascinating to me to see who's going to get that four spot because I don't think out of the top three, they're going to fall out and not be a part of this playoff mix. So to me, it's going to be Utah, Oklahoma. I don't think Florida's going to get there. They have two losses. So to me, it's either going to be one of those, whoever gets four. Georgia wins. Georgia will probably be, they're not going to be number one. They may be three. They may move up a slot or two tops, but probably just one slot. LSU may drop down a slot or two. Because I see they're probably not going to have LSU and Georgia match up. I could see maybe Georgia being three, LSU go four, and then if Ohio State and Clemson win, they'll be one and two. And that's going to be a college football. Now, if everybody loses, I'm sure everybody in the college football world would love to see Georgia lose, Utah, Oklahoma, because then who's going to get that spot? Well, I can't expect these teams to lose just yet. Now, Oklahoma, they're uh, going up against Baylor, and that's going to be a formidable opponent. So... And we know Baylor, although they're ranked right now. And again, these rankings are not up to the minute because that's going to change over the course of the next few days. But I would even think Baylor, they're not going to have enough to go ahead and move up the charts to get themselves into the playoffs. So we'll handicap it all. We've handicapped it now, but we'll recap it all next week. And it's going to be interesting to see who's going to be that fourth team because like I said, the other three teams, even if they do lose, they're going to be part of the college football playoff. So uh, we'll certainly keep our eyes glued to that. In fact, what am I reading here? Oh, that's actually college because I saw Louisville's a new number one and I thought to myself, wait a minute, I know that's not college football. So yeah, because that's not going to happen until 
a couple of days from now. All right, so that's your college football people. We'll certainly keep our eyes glued to that. Uh, NHL right now, eh. I- I'm only going to touch on NHL real quick. Or maybe I'll go to the NBA and then I'll hit to the NHL. Right now, the NBA, I know La- the Lakers lose last night to Dallas. And Luka Doncic, who continues to impress, they finally snapped the long winning streak of the Lakers. What was it, 11 in a row that they won going into last night's game? So they're 17-3. and So that was the news out of the NBA coming out of last night. But as far as the past week is concerned, the one thing I'm going to look at here is Kyrie Irving's comments that he posted on Instagram, I believe it was, after Brooklyn's first visit to Boston since Kyrie has signed out. Remember, Kyrie's been out with this right shoulder uh, issue that he's had. He's been out for the last 10 games or so. But there were a bunch of boos. I think every time a net touched the ball in the first opening minutes of the game, there was just boos nonstop. Kyrie wasn't in the building. He was in the building on Friday because it was a home-and-home where the Celtics then went to Brooklyn. They ended up losing that game, but Kyrie was in the building then. But he came out with this long-winded, and I'm not going to read it verbatim, but it was pretty much a thing about life, about celebrating with your loved ones, that it's just a game. It's a game I live for, but at the end of the day, is it really that important, et cetera, et cetera, yada, yada, yada. And I still couldn't make sense out of it two days after the fact. And I understand it's to kind of get the haters off of him to think that you know, it's not all about basketball, that my life's not going to revolve around fans. It's all about the family aspect and the people who love me and being supportive and so on and so forth. And we get that. We know that. So I don't understand why he should just leave it alone. He knows how rabid that fan base is. He knows how passionate they are. If he can't take the heat, now I don't know if he's been traveling with them on the road up until this point. Now I'm sure he's been rehabbing. He's been staying back as the team travels. City to city. But at the same time, Kyrie should be bigger and better than that. He should know that, hey, let the Celtic fans say what they want to say. I understand even some of the Celtic players have come out and said they got to let it go. They got to move past it. And they should. Now, I understand that first game back is kind of the, I'm not going to say the barometer, but it's the time for the fans to kind of get back at Kyrie. And I've got to look to see when the next time they play. Because they still have one more visit up to Boston. And who knows if Kyrie's going to be, I'm sure he'll be healthy and be ready to play that day. And I get that the fans got to kind of let it go. But until his first return back, especially as a member of the Nets, then you can kind of let it go. A la the whole deal with LeBron James. As a matter of fact, today's the anniversary. Nine years ago today was his return to Cleveland after he left Cleveland to Miami. The famous decision, take my talents to South Beach. And of course, we all know the vitriol and the hate and everything that happened, the burning of the jerseys prior to that. And then, of course, that night where he just went out and, what do you have, 38 points that night and X amount of rebounds and assists. So until you finally get that pound of flesh, the fans are going to be that way. And the best thing for Kyrie was just to let it go, not even say anything. And I understand this was on his own volition. It wasn't as if somebody stuck a microphone in his face. But still, Kyrie's got to know better than that. And he just should have left it alone. And now he's just added more fuel to the fire to the next time they go up there. Or even worse, imagine if they play in, against each other in the playoffs. Which could possibly happen. So, that's what you have there. Also, James Harden had this 60-point performance a few nights ago where he scored 60 points in 31 minutes. And we know how dynamic of an offensive player he is. We get that. But, I, I just, all I'm going to say is this. I don't want to pound on James Harden because I know it's easy for me just to come out and say, oh yeah, let me see that in the postseason, blah, blah, which right, rightfully so. But that's the thing about the regular season as opposed to the postseason. We've seen these performances by James Harden night in, night out. These 50-point triple doubles and so on and so forth. And listen, not to knock it, the guy, 60 points in 31 minutes, that's it's unheard of. And he's shot 24 field goals, 23 free throw attempts. As efficient as you could possibly be. You know, it's not as if he scored 60 points and he chucked up, you know, 40 shots. So, kudos to him. But again, we've seen these offensive outbursts and outputs from him before. But you never see this in a postseason because teams are going to gear up for that over a seven-game series. So, before people start going crazy about, oh, there goes James Harden. He's going off again. Oh, hey, all right. Everybody gets crazy and jump up and down. And Harden's the best player in the league. And... No one can stop him and so on and so forth. Well, let me see this in the deciding game six or deciding game seven where he scores 60. Never happens. 
So that's it with that. And then the one last thing, and I got to give it up to my guy, Stephen A. Smith, who I know I've got on this case throughout. And he's 1,000% right about Joel Embiid. How is it that Joel Embiid in his first game in Toronto since they lost a heartbreaking game seven, and we all know about the shot heard around the NBA world, how is he going to go back into that building and for 32 minutes on the floor not score one single point? He went 0 for 11 from the field. I forgot what he did from the free throw line. But he didn't score one point. You would think that this guy would have gone in there as a man possessed. Be like, you know what? I remember the last time I walked out of here, I was in tears. And I commended him for that because it showed that he had, obviously he had a pulse, that he cared, that he wanted to win, that it hurt, that it stung, that you would think he would have gone back into that building and just would have shredded the roof off of it. Instead, he shoots 0 for 11, scores no points, and the team loses. Which reinforces everything I said about Joel Embiid many, many weeks ago. And even going back to last year, prior to... Him losing a game seven in that building up in Toronto. Is that he's a guy that's never to be trusted. Almost like Dwight Howard. And I call him Dwight Howard 2.0. And this is for the single reason. He's that front running type of player. That when everything is going downhill. And your team is up by 15 in the first quarter. And your team is up by 27 in the third quarter. And you've scored 31 points. And grabbed 19 rebounds. And yeah, you're just killing it. But when you are not playing the game in a tuxedo. When you're in the trenches, when you're getting elbowed in the ribs, when you're not getting calls, he is not the same player. And obviously, I didn't watch that game. I didn't follow it closely. But when you do not score one point in 32 minutes against a team that ousted you in the postseason, that is not a good sign. But again, it's not a surprising sign because, unfortunately, that's just the type of player Joel Embiid is. Unless the DNA goes to 180 overnight or throughout the course of the season, but I've said it time and time again. You want to see more nastiness and more caring from a guy that has all the talent in the world and is certainly all NBA talent. But when you see performances like that, not only does it make you shake your head, it makes you scratch your head. So that's what I got there with the NBA. Uh, Let's see. As far as uh, throughout the league, pretty much everything status quo. Like I mentioned, the Lakers did lose last night. And what did they do? I think they had 111 in a row up until that point. Uh, As I pull up their stats here. Yes, they had. And then the team that's not actually currently won 11 in a row is the Bucks. So they have certainly reawakened to the tune of a 17-3 at the top of the Eastern Conference. Toronto continues to play well. Celtics have taken a couple ticks back. Miami certainly, as I've said time and time again, they've certainly gotten off to a great start. Considering all the noise around Deion Waiters and the edible that he had, that he missed the team plane and was suspended, etc., and obviously, they do everything well down there as far as uh, in-house, making sure that uh, the damage control is at a minimum in Miami. And the Nets are certainly trying to get their footing. They're at 500. They've been at 500 for quite some time. Out west, Denver, Clippers. Clippers scored 150 points the other night. I think it was the uh, second time in franchise history. I know Doc Rivers had mentioned something about I need to get Paul George and Kawhi Leonard on the practice court for the first time. It seems like they never practiced together, either load management or... George just coming back off from the injured list a couple weeks ago with the uh, shoulders on his in- uh, with the surgery on his shoulders, I should say. And then uh, Houston, Phoenix at the bottom of the bracket there, as far as the top eight is concerned, at eight and ten. And the two teams that you see there between OKC and I even last week when I mentioned San Antonio, San Antonio got wasted last night. Uh, what did they lose by thirty six points? When you see a Popovich team lose by thirty six. Not a good sign. They're going to have a long year, 7-14. and And I've said it before, and I'll say it again, you wonder if this is going to be it for Popovich. And I, I don't think it should be it for him because I would almost think that now that this run is over and they're probably not going to make the playoffs this year, at least you don't think, that for him to just say, all right, that's it, I'm done, maybe the announcement will come after the end of the season. And if that's the case, then right, right rightfully so. But you would think that he's going to fight tooth and nail to the end here until he can't handle it anymore, and why not? Even if he has a 32-50 and 50 year, you know nobody can knock what he's done over the last 20 years. So that's what you got there with the NBA. Uh, as far as the NHL is concerned, Bruins are flying high. They're right now on the top of the NHL chain. I believe they were even that last week. So, And the NHL, again, it's not going to be as sexy as far as the NBA is concerned as far as storylines and things of that nature. Uh, I'll get to my zero of the week, which is NHL related, but I figured I'd save it till then. 
I didn't want to be the only highlight as far as the uh, NHL is concerned. But the Capitals, in fact, they actually have the same amount of points as the Boston Bruins, 43 at the top of the NHL there. And the Bruins have not lost at home yet. Uh, they beat the Canadians there last night, 3-1. What else we got there? I know I talked about the Panthers last week as far as their improvement so far as they started off slow, especially under coach Joe, uh, Joel Quenville. Islanders hit the skids there a little bit. They actually got a victory against the Blue Jackets the other night, so they had a three-game losing streak after that uh, impressive start where they had, what was it, uh, 19 games of at least getting a point. Rangers have played well. Devils, even with all the moves that they made, they certainly have not played well. They actually got shut up by the Rangers there on Saturday. As the Rangers bounce back from the Thanksgiving tradition game where they lose in overtime to the Bruins. And then uh, out west, pretty much Edmonton at the top of the Pacific. Same for St. Louis in the Central. And that's pretty much what you have there. I know San Jose certainly have turned their season around. Remember, they were at the bottom, hovering there with the LA Kings. And then now they've uh, got themselves to at least third in the Pacific. So they put themselves thrust in the middle of the mix there. And uh, as far as any other news and notes, let's see what I got here. Oh, yeah, that's right. David Backus came back. He was out for a long stretch there. Backus, of course, was the former blue player who are now in Boston. So he's another weapon that they could add to their arsenal. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much what you got with the NHL. Uh, nothing much there to report. I don't know if we got any interesting games this week. But, again, just like the NBA, NBA is going to produce and manufacture more interesting storylines throughout the course of the season than the NHL. But then once you get to April in the postseason, we all know that uh, Stanley Cup playoff hockey is second to none when it comes to competition and edge of your seat and things of that nature. Despite the fact I wish it could be a little bit more rougher and a little bit more physical, but I digress. So uh, that's what you have there. As far as baseball is concerned, I mentioned at the top, the MLB winter meetings will take place in San Diego next Monday through Thursday. And you would only hope that some news will start to percolate because... You've had some minor signings. I know last week I talked about Jose Abreu and Yasmani Grandal. And you've had a couple of minor signings that, to me, aren't even worth noting. I hate to say that. And that's not to diminish the player or the guys that have... uh, As a matter of fact, I'm looking at right now. The Indians acquired Sandy Leon from the Red Sox. So that must have just come up the pike. And again, that's a minor deal. You know, nobody's going to go crazy of, you know, Sandy Leon going to the Indians. Especially when you have news about Francisco Lindor who has two more years left on his deal but now they may have to trade him because they don't want to lose him for nothing. Which is a shame because you would think Cleveland would do whatever it takes but we all know small market they're not going to be able to afford a guy who's going to make it upwards of 150 to $200 million. And you know when you look at Jan Gomes he returns to the Nats on a two-year $10 million deal. Those are signings that you know, you're not going to get crazy about. Everybody's going to look at, all right, what's the latest with Garrett Cole? What's the latest with Anthony Rendon? Madison Bumgarner? You know, guys like that. Nobody's looking to see where Sandy Leone is playing or Justin Bohr is going to be playing in Tampa now, the former Marlin and Anaheim Angel first baseman. Nobody's going to look at those type of deals and start jumping up and down. So let's see. I don't think you're going to hear anything this week, but you would think next week the rumor mill will certainly be pumping and hopefully the hot stove will get cooking because... Right now, this baseball season, as it's already been gone, you've had nothing to shake a stick at as far as any type of news and notes with any of these players that are looking for new destinations. So hopefully that'll change in a week from now. So with that said, people, let me transition and move over to my hero and zero of the week. And my hero of the week is a simple one, and it actually goes back to college basketball as it did last week with Evansville, the week before that, I should say. This week, Stephen F. Austin was a 27.5 point underdog at Duke, Cameron Indoor. And we understand in college basketball, let's say if Duke was at Stephen F. Austin and they would have lost that game, would that still have been an upset? Oh, absolutely. But it would have been a little bit less considering that the game was in the building of Stephen F. Austin. That if they would have won that game there, it certainly would have made a lot of news, but even more so, or less so, because the game was at home. Because they say, oh, at least they had an advantage. And maybe Duke went into the, you know, their building a little listless. Took them quite a bit to get started. But with the Cameron Crazies in their building, Stephen F. Austin, they get that layup there, that steal, and then the cross-court layup there at the buzzer. For them to win that game, kudos to them. 
Uh, that is an enormous win. And I know the kid who made the layup was even more in the news this uh, past week. As his family's from the Bahamas and they had a GoFundMe with everything, the wreckage and the destruction that went there over the summer with the hurricane in uh, Freeport. How the GoFundMe, I believe it was at $4,000 before that layup. And then he's had this up well before that. Now it's over $100,000. So that's also another story that certainly is going to shine much more brighter than the game itself. As that's going to take precedence. Life will take over the game. As we talked about earlier with Kyrie's comments. But kudos to them. So Stephen F. Austin will get my hero of the week. And my zero of the week is going to go to former Calgary Flames coach Bill Peters. As he stepped down. Four days after a player came forward and mentioned that the and a racial racial epithet was directed toward him in regards to music in the locker room, the player who is of African American descent, I believe, as I look at his name, Akeem Aliu, uh, mentioned on Twitter that he had dropped the M bomb several times toward him in the dressing room during his rookie year, and obviously, like I mentioned, didn't like his choice of music. So for Bill Peters to do that, and it took four days. So Calgary, uh, you could also probably look at the management there and I understand they're probably gathering in information and want to make sure that all those are factual and certainly not fabricated but for Bill Peters to come out in this day and age to say that and listen obviously we're all you know fallible you know we're not going to be perfect all the time but in this climate and everything that's gone on especially when it comes to race and everything discrimination etc cetera, etc cetera, obviously it was a bad optic bad on his part, all around, and who knows if he's ever going to see the NHL, let alone any coaching gig, whether it's in the minors or college or even high school for that matter. So Bill Peters, just terrible job by him. He is obviously the zero of the week. And I don't even know who the Flames put in as coach. Let me look that up real quick. I know it's a bad job by me, but again, for those out in, uh, for the few Calgary Flame fans that are listening, if there, if there are any, uh, he is out as coach. And uh, there we go as far as that is concerned. All right, people, so that will do it here for this week's podcast. As always, behind the scenes, working hard, just trying to improve on this podcast, do whatever it takes to deliver not only a top-notch, entertaining, but also very informative uh, podcast for the masses, for edification, for everything that's going on in the world of sports. And I open the floor to you guys. You could contact me on any of my social media accounts. Please send me a DM, an email at jreels on Instagram, jreels1, just a number on Twitter, the J Reels Podcast, my Facebook fan page, and also an email at the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Any questions, comments, criticism, praise, whatever it may be, what I could do to improve the podcast, please. I'm open to all the people. I'll be sure to write you back, follow up, etc. Because uh, I'm going to continue to do this as long as I'm on God's green earth to share with you my thoughts about what's happening in the world of sports. And also in the process, if you could go ahead, if you haven't done so already, Please, people, I implore you to subscribe to this podcast on wherever you get your podcasts, whether that be on Apple, Google Play, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, Luminary, iHeartRadio, CastBox, whatever it may be. Just go ahead and subscribe. Also, leave a rating, post a review. Again, that's going to generate more interest with possible guests in the future because the more they see that the J Reels podcast is out there, a lot of people will get to see that, hey, this guy's doing some things, doing some big things. He has this guy on, that guy on. And again, when you're an independent outfit like me, it makes it that much more harder as far as the competition is concerned. So as long as this podcast gets a lot of notoriety or gets a lot of reviews and, of course, a lot of visibility, uh, if you could go ahead and do that, it just takes a matter of moments on your smartphone, tablet, whatever it may be, I would greatly appreciate it. And then lastly, if you want to contribute to the podcast as far as production, advertising, marketing, etc., behind the scenes. In fact, I have a couple of commercials that I've already filmed. I'm Actually, I have three of them filmed. That's right. And if you go to my Instagram account in the coming days, I'll have a few stills from that. So starting January 1st, I'm going to run out these little promos for the world to see. So you'll see where some of that production goes to. But if you can, my Patreon account, www.patreon.com. That's P as in Paul, A-T as in Tom, R-E-O-N as a nancy.com slash the J Reels podcast. Uh, be forever indebted for anything that you can contribute in reference to that. And of course, there's also subscribe, leave a rating, post a review as I deliver everything that's happening in the world of sports, whether it's happening on the diamond, on the ice, on the gridiron, on the hardwood, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. 
from the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J. Rose Podcast, on the flip, baby.